Chilton Cop to score Chowder. That's very disappointing to me. It's very disappointing to me. So I want to tell you something face to face, man to man. I'm just a guy. I understand that. And this is just between me and you. Something very bad is going to happen to you. Joe, you're crowded. Listen, 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 listen. I'm going to wrap my arm around your throat. And you're going to feel it tight. Gentlemen, hello and welcome to episode one of Top Marks. That's right, the internet did not have enough wrestling podcasts. <laughs> we decided to make another. Uh, Justin Morissette with you here and uh, with me for this episode and for uh, presumably every episode. His face is on the cover art of the podcast, uh, my friend, and, and soon to be yours, Josh Custodio. Before we even get into these introductions, we all know wrestling is about the big debuts. And i got to tell you. This has a big debut feel. Yo, it's going to be a big fight, absolutely. There's no question. We're bringing the big fight. It's got the big fight feel. We're recording in the big yard today. <laughs> There's no bigger yard, and it's our yard, and it's the podcast. It's called Top Marks, and I know what you're thinking to yourself. You're thinking, when I tried to look this up in iTunes, there was already a wrestling podcast called Top Marks. Oh, ignore those guys. And that's true, but those guys... Uh, you know, they're 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 they'll never make it in the Fed. <laughs> they're out there on the Indies, and we're never gonna hear from them. They're never. They've made two episodes ever, and I think they gave up sometime last year. So you know what? If they want to claim gimmick infringement, we are open to that. But I don't think uh, they have a case to stand on because we've probably already amassed more listeners than them, and we're not even a minute and a half deep. Without ever hearing their podcast, I already am very confident that ours is better. I mean, two episodes deep, you're a total loser. You gave up. I got willpower. I'm going to episode 316 on this one. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, that is eight years of episodes if we do this once a week. I've been watching wrestling since I'm eight years old. I see no reason to stop now. Yeah, um, and you are like a freak about that uh, because, you know... Uh, this is not my first foray into wrestling podcasting. Fans of my other podcast, Real Good Show, will know that I, I had an offshoot Real Grap show that I did a couple times on, oh, on the feed terrible. there. Um, no good. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, the, the, the idea behind that podcast was going to be to talk to people, uh, comedians, journalists, about uh, their, like, wrestling fandoms, basically, mm. and uh, and and. To, when they were into it, what their biggest moments and memories are, and and like you know what their exit period was, and right. what eventually brought them back in, because I feel like that is the story of most of the fans that you meet who are adults. They all had a point <laughs> where they clocked out. Yeah, they just couldn't take it anymore. For me, it was two thousand one during the invasion angle, which was just handled so terribly that I couldn't, oh, amazing. I couldn't carry on any longer. I just lost interest altogether. Um, uh, but, like, yeah, it's, there's always, you know, for me, it's a it's close to a 10-year gap. Other people leave and come back um, around 2007 through 2011 or so is a common period, I think, too. Yeah. Uh, because I think that's when it's really quite bad. But you would be able to answer that because this is a very long way of saying that you are that rare wrestling fan who has never walked away, ever. You are loyal to the product <laughs> at all times. Through thick and thin. Yeah, uh, man. I am a shit-eating wild man for professional wrestling. Most healthy adults do stop watching wrestling yeah. because they are healthy adults who like choose to do better things with their time. I am no such thing. I am a... Uh, I, 
I was watching TNA up until last year. I mean, I, I love this shit. Uh, it's, it's just an insane capacity to take in professional wrestling, but you also have like a Flow Slam subscription. Uh, you're, you're watching it all. You are, you are a man uh, of, of all tastes, basically. I am a man who plays in a band and watches wrestling, <laughs> and that is effectively all of my time. All right. Well, I think that makes you the perfect choice for a co-host here as we talk about the world of professional wrestling each and every week. Uh, but we are not going to be covering everything. We are definitely no. not going to be reviewing Raw and SmackDown every Enough of week. That. We assume that you are already watching the shows and don't need to be told what happens. We are going to geek out about some things that happened, I'm sure. No doubt. But every single week here, we are taking three big topics, what we consider the biggest topics of the week in the world of wrestling, and uh, going at, at least, f- you know, at most, rather. At most. We don't do an at least no. here. If something's not working, you just drop it and move on. Something that WWE sometimes does and then sometimes also doesn't Wow, do. ruthless. <laughs> uh, that, that's the idea here. We want to do three topics each week, sort of the biggest stories coming out of professional wrestling, give sort of our takes on it. Like you said, there is going to be some Raw recapping, some SmackDown recapping, some pay-per-view uh, previews as we're going to do today. But in general, there's enough of these recap shows, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's like a WCW TV title <laughs> match. <laughs> Only 15 we, minutes. We, we are keeping every topic <laughs> at a limit of 15 minutes. If 15 minutes expires on one single topic, the buzzer sounds, and it's over. It's like it didn't even happen. And, and we, we just assume on. I won. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, it's a draw. It's, it's but left the champ to the keeps imagination. Title. Yeah, well, who says that you're the champ at that point? That's awfully presumptuous, I feel. To be determined. <laughs> we'll see who you think the champ is at the end of this episode. <laughs> but we do know that the champ is here. Uh, which one of us he is is not quite clear. It's Top Marks, another wrestling podcast. Uh, Justin Morrison and Josh Custodio. And, uh, I mean, do, do, we, do you feel like we're properly introduced? I think they're probably sick of us. Let's get into the three topics that we have going on this week. Absolutely. The first topic is going to be the Money in the Prank preview. This weekend is the, I guess, is it the official number five? Can we call it the big five pay-per-views at this point? Yeah. Uh, to me, like, it, it's very strange that, you know, they did this. Uh, when they did the brand split that every pay-per-view only meets in the top four. Because to yeah. me, I think you need to redefine what the top four is at this point. And Money in the Bank absolutely is in there. It doesn't have like the the classic established presence of say a Survivor Series, but it's always a more pivotal pay per view every single year. I think. Mm. Um, so you know, it's one of the top shows of the year that I look forward to, and I was very happy to see that the top brand Hell got yeah. it this year. No question, because we bleed blue on this here show. So I that'll be <laughs> that'll be round one today. Round two is going to be a little review. One of us. Watched Omega Okada 2 this weekend. And, and one of us doesn't know anything about Japanese wrestling. You can probably guess which those are. And then in round three, we're going to talk about our anticipation about the Brock Lesnar-Samoa Joe match and sort of their careers uh, up to this point. For sure. Um, and yeah, so let's get right into it with the Money in the Bank pay-per-view preview. Round one. Fight! I guess we need to go over what the matches are. I think that's probably the best idea. outside of the Money in the Bank ladder matches and a tag title match and Orton and, you know, I think there's a women's match on there as well. It's it's not a really well-rounded pay-per-view quite yet. It does feel very top-heavy, except you're forgetting about the match that I feel has the most big fight feel to it. (laughs) And that's Naomi versus the singles ring debut of Lana. No longer attached to the hip of Rusev. The ravishing Russian Lana is out for her in-ring debut. What do you think of that? Uh, you know, I think that she was surprisingly good. She on she got a little. She did one move <laughs> on SmackDown. A great move. It, but it was enough. Like it 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 looked a lot better than I was expecting. Because uh, she was also in that uh, the pre-show match of WrestleMania last year. That's right. So it's not technically like her first match ever, but she I don't think she barely really did anything. As I, I don't really remember the match, if you can believe that. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'll say, 
I've been impressed with Lana so far with the small things she's done here on SmackDown, and she's been working the NXT house shows. There's reason to believe she might be serviceable in ring. I would be stunned if her and Naomi put on any sort of classic, but can they, in your opinion, get to a match that is serviceable, and do you think there's any chance, as a follow-up, that they put the title on Lana? Uh, well, I don't, I don't know that you want to beat somebody in their major debut. Right. And I, I'm also... I don't know, because it seems like they have a possibility here to do a kind of Eva Marie sort of thing. She did get a lot of boos at the end of that segment on SmackDown where she you know, did her little finisher there in Naomi. But for the most part, she's she got cheers. Yeah. Like, the crowd really wants to like her. And if they are going to try and do this like talented nobody wins, or a talentless nobody rather, or you know, wins the title for... A push for all the wrong reasons, which is how they got heat right. for Eva Marie. Like, I don't know that that's going to work with Lana because, like, she's naturally likable. She's been the cheer part of, uh, like, Rusev's heel act when they were a duo. Like, Rusev is a heel because he's mean to Lana right. and you like Lana, you know? Like, uh, so I don't know that. It's going to have the effect that they think it might if they put the title on her right away. Uh, I also don't know that she could have a, a lot of great matches with people that are out there in the division right now. But, you know, uh, it's tough because it's also money in the bank. So right. you can't really beat her uh, and then have somebody cash in right away on Lana. Well, and that's the thing, right? Having a heel debut and getting cashed in on just feels like a weird bit of momentum that I can't imagine them chasing. Like you, I think that in a person's debut, you can't squash them. You can't have her just come out and lose. I think they have a bit of an out if they want to keep the Rusev and her pairing together, and they have Rusev come out and help Lana in some capacity. Do you think that's a possibility? Uh, well, yeah, Rusev is due back, right? Like, we still haven't seen him. He's owed a title match. Yeah, he, he demanded a title match, and then... Uh, the Nashville Predators were in the playoffs. <laughs> I don't know if you heard, but who's that? Like he's he was super busy with playoff games instead. So, uh, you know, this seems like a a, a point where they could bring him back. Uh, do I want to see Rusev cost Naomi her title? That might be healing that that I can't stand in 2017, <laughs> um, depending on how it happens anyways. It, would it be kind of hilarious if they just had now Rusev be Lana's valet, just a complete switch of their gimmick, and now Rusev is just accompanying Lana to the ring, and she treats him terribly? Uh, that could be good, yeah. I think this has some legs. It really seems like they've modeled her after like Elsa from Frozen. <laughs> She's wearing like, a big Outfit-wise, you're totally correct. blue dress. <laughs> Uh, with the blonde hairs that's styled in, like, the exact Elsa way. Uh, but, you know, uh, I don't think that she's the heel that they think that that presentation endears also. I don't even know if Vince McMahon knows who the bad guy in Frozen is. <laughs> Vince McMahon uh, loves Frozen. That's, uh, <laughs> that was on the sheets, bud. Uh, let's stick it with the theme of the women. Our first ever, the inaugural... Money in the Bank ladder match for the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship. And none of the competitors really make sense to win. Tamina sucks, basically. <laughs> so I don't like she, she she can't win because that that's like X Pac go away heat if she's your money in the bank winner. Let me stop you there though. Okay. The beauty of the money in the bank is that a heel could feasibly carry it for a year. And you would think within a year they could make a Tamina, a Carmella a little bit more serviceable, ready for that big title match, don't you think? Uh, yeah, Carmella, I could definitely see winning it, though, because she has charisma. Right. Um, <laughs> like, the problem for her right now is even with James Ellsworth, she doesn't get a reaction from the crowd. Like, I honestly dead. feel bad for her when she comes out because it's just dead silent, uh, which she's done enough, I think, good healing in backstage segments that she should get booed at this point. And she's annoying. And Ellsworth is annoying. <laughs> they should be a heat magnet, and it's still just, like, nothing. Uh, I think that she has the mic ability to really run with the gimmick right. in a way that would be super beneficial for her. And it also gives her the capacity to carry the title of being a future title holder for a long enough time that she might actually be ready for it when she cashes in. And I think that's a great point. When I look here at the list of competitors, Becky Lynch, Charlotte, Natalia, Tamina, and Carmella, 
I have to agree with you that I think Carmella probably can get the most mileage out of the actual gimmick of being a heel carrying the Money in the Bank briefcase. I feel like Charlotte already has enough stock that her challenging at any time for the title, it doesn't seem out of place. She doesn't especially need the Money in the Bank. Yeah, because she was supposed to have the match this month even if there was no Money in the Bank, basically, right? Becky Lynch... Becky Lynch... Could take this, I think. I, I wouldn't put. Uh, she wouldn't be my number one choice, but I wouldn't be stunned to see her get the belt. She'd get a good react, or rather, the the briefcase. I think it depends on who wins the men's match because you probably don't want heels winning both, even though a heel with money in the bank makes the most sense. Uh, so, if the if the plan is to give it to Baron Corbin, mm. then I could totally see Becky Lynch. Uh, winning the women's match and cashing in like relatively quickly. The, the, this is the weird thing too, is like the fact that they're on the same show and it's the show that's the two-hour show means you probably want to get rid of one immediately. <laughs> that is a really interesting point I had not considered. You don't want two Money in the Banks necessarily on every two-hour show. Yeah. Um, mm. So like I think somebody cashes in like night of. Really, eh? You well, might be right about that. I or or this Tuesday, like or within the next like couple weeks, because I don't think you can really drag this out with two briefcases on a show that is ostensibly like an hour and twenty minutes every week. <laughs> That's too much briefcase. It's a whole lot of briefcase. Yeah, uh, for like especially like basically the same gimmick to just constantly be teasing that you're going to be able to cash in at any time. Yeah, now that you're saying that, I think the idea of them giving one to a face and one to a heel might make a whole lot of sense. So let's skip over to the men's match right now. Sure. Uh, where our participants are basically the new SmackDown 6. Like these They are, really are. These are your workhorses that are carrying the show every single week. Well, and Dolph Ziggler's there too. Yeah, I like Dolph Ziggler yeah, though. Yeah, he, uh, he's terrible. I think he works good matches. He's absolute dog so shit. So I'm definitely counting him in that tier for sure. Here is who we have in the men's match this weekend. We have Kevin Owens. AJ Styles, Baron Corbin, the world's greatest professional wrestler, Sami Zayn, guy named Dolph Ziggler, and Shinsuke Nakamura. And you are of a controversial opinion that Shinsuke Nakamura has not been very good in WWE. Is that controversial? I, I think I think he is beloved by a lot of viewers. I would never question how beloved he is, or how dope the entrance is, or how great his look is, or how special his charisma is. Yeah. I'm only questioning that his matches have been bland. The, but outside of the Zayn match, I don't believe he was the best match on any card that he's been on. And you were also coming at, from it with the larger context of like what he can do as demonstrated in Japan. Yeah, listen, man. The, his reputation in Japan was such that he would really show up for the big matches, but in the sort of throwaway tags, he would you know sort of call it in. And I think we're getting a little bit more of that Nakamura here so far. I don't know if on some of these bigger cards, maybe a SummerSlam, he'll pick it up. He'll recognize how big this is. Yeah. Or maybe he's, his body's busted up from these years of being the king of strong style and he wants a paycheck. I'm not going to hate on the guy for that. But people acting like he is delivering just these five-star classics and he's must-see TV player. I don't understand you. I liked the Dolph Ziggler match. I know that makes me, uh, I, I guess, in the minority overall. I think I feel like it's overly criticized. My only criticism is really that it shouldn't have opened the show. Yeah, placement was interesting, and having Dolph Ziggler be anywhere on SmackDown television is also interesting. <laughs> but I I don't know. I, I, I go in wanting – maybe that's an expectation thing, too, for myself. Like, yeah. I see Nakamura, and I think, like, so many people, when there was the, the news of him and AJ and the, the club signing, I was like, wow, this is going to this is going to change things. You know, we are getting a, a bona fide A-plus in-ring guy here. And he hasn't delivered on that for me. Um, I still will never stop watching when he's on TV. I find him extremely captivating, as I think most do. But I don't think he's winning money in the bank this Sunday. Do you? No. Though he was, like, the odds-on favorite when the match was announced, Is that right? Uh, And he did stand tall at the end of the show tonight on top of the ladder. That's right. With his music playing, which is probably all the more reason that he is not going to win (laughs) this match. But in saying that... I don't really know who will because, you know, we mentioned that Baron Corbin seems like the natural choice. He's the guy that they have huge hopes for. He's really delivered, I think, this year. I agree. Uh, He probably should have won the Intercontinental title if they didn't plan to switch it over to the other show like a week later. Um, But, uh, yeah, like he... He's been pretty solid. His matches with AJ are great. Obviously, that was a, a gifted opponent who can get a good match out of pretty much anyone. But, no question. Uh, he, he, his AJ matches have been really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he would probably be a good heel because I naturally do 
hate something about his persona. There's just something extremely dislikable about Baron Corbin. Yeah, I mean, he does look like an asshole. And I think that that's... Uh, <laughs> we have a, a question from a... Li- or I suppose a now listener uh, over on the Twitter feed today talking about that. Things that can make a good heel. And we'll get into that a little more later. Yeah. But I think Baron Corbin has a lot of that. He has a... He does have a charisma, but he also has some sort of innate negativeness about him. Like, you see Baron Corbin, there is no part of you that thinks you want to go have a beer with him. And he's so cocky all the time, and, like, when he takes his toque off, his hairline is just a goddamn embarrassment. That's enough with that toque already. But, you know, my hairline is also a goddamn embarrassment, and I still am like, look at that fucking stupid bald guy. Uh, (laughs) That makes you the heel of this podcast, I guess. Um, What do you think of this idea? Let me paint a picture for you. Yeah. Kevin Owens, the new face of America. Yes. Has the U.S. title. And takes it down money in the bank. Um, I feel like he doesn't need it. Like, I feel like I want to see him win that title because it would make him a Grand Slam champion outside of winning the tag titles. Right. Um, but, you know, like, he, he's so established and I think he's so accepted as being one of the biggest stars that he doesn't necessarily need it. Um, I know it's weird to win it as a babyface, but I definitely could see Sami Zayn winning this match. I actually think that whole bit about uh, a baby face carrying the money in the bank being worse, I, I don't really understand it. I think baby faces can still be smart. I think baby faces cashing in a money in the bank before the match, announcing that they're adding themselves into the match, mm-hmm. super stupid. But I don't think somebody like, uh, I know he's not on the show, but somebody like a, a Dean Ambrose, a baby face who is a little more edgy in his presentation, yeah. couldn't cash in post-match like the heels do. Yeah. I don't know why a baby face couldn't do that. It doesn't seem innately heel to me. Uh. Yeah, I mean, it, they say that, you know, it's not like an honorable way to win, but it's also playing within the rules. You have this opportunity at any time, and if you do it to a heel anyways... That's the thing. Like, it's not like anyone feels bad that the heel got hosed. If you're that's exactly a- what happened to Seth Rollins last year. <laughs> that's exactly And that. I loved every second of it, even though I love Seth Rollins and wanted him to be the champion. Me and Dean, baby. Uh, but I think that's the thing. Uh, when you see a baby face in a no-holds-barred match, they use weapons. They do things that would be innately heel, but yeah. in the context of a match, yeah. just being a baby face. Exactly. So, so we don't think Kevin Owens. For me, I think he could get a tremendous amount of mileage out of holding that belt and being like, even if somehow someone manages to take this from me, I guess who can cash this. in instantly. I yeah. think there is a whole lot of legs, and no one could deliver on that more than Kevin Owens. Not that I'm picking him, but I'd like to see it. Yeah, I think that there is something there, but I also feel like we've been teased that there's going to be a Shinsuke Nakamura feud coming out of this. Right. It'll probably be for the U.S. title, and if that is the case, then winning money in the bank probably doesn't make a ton of sense for him. Is there Um, any chance that Ziggler walks away with this? I don't think so. That's Uh, good. I I like Dolph Ziggler as a worker. I think he... Like, I count him as one of the SmackDown 6 because he's reliably going to do a good match. Uh, But I don't think he needs the title. I think that's probably a bad move for him at this point and the show. Having said that, you know, Jinder Mahal is our champion and I fucking love it. Anything can happen, baby. Exactly. But, you know, no, I think Sami Zayn is the guy. If it's not him, it's definitely going to be Baron Corbin. I also think it'll be Sami Zayn this Sunday. All right. Well, I guess that we just spoke of him right there. The next match is the WWE champion, the new Maharaja. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> what what a reign this has been. I, I am so happy to have been wrong about this, Justin Jinder Morissette. Mahal versus Randy Orton. And we got to be quick about this because we're running out of time here on topic number one. Well, listen, here, here's what you need to know about Jinder Mahal. The entrance is great. Our local Bollywood boys are swamping beside him. It's been a fun reign. He's, he's, I don't even know what I like about it. He's not great in reign. Yeah. The promos aren't great, but he feels fresh. He's I, good on talking smack. True. But, but there's something that is a little bit flat and stock about the promos, but he still gets real booze. Well, and as a wrestling fan, I think we all will say, oh, you know, you got to take a chance on this guy. Oh, it's the same people, all this. It's so stale. It's so formulaic. So yeah. to have just a, a pure element of chaos and Jinder Mahal getting the belt, that's fun. Yeah. It's different. And they have an opportunity to break their habit of having babyfaces lose in their own hometown. That's true. I I don't think that's going to happen, though, because Randy Orton should probably not get this title back. Uh, I don't know if they would do this because it would be the record-breaking title reign, 
but I do want to see Jinder versus Cena. I think there's a lot of fun to be had there. That does feel like a big fight all of a sudden. I don't know where that came from, but already I'm saying, hey, you know, I would like to see that. Although free agent Cena, who knows where he's going? He's <laughs> yeah, a wild man. Exactly. I do think Jinder's going to retain this Sunday, though. He I has don't to. know why he's they too, would take it off. He's him. too good. It's too big. It's too new and cool. And quite honestly, they have flipped the SmackDown title on every single show this year, yeah. basically. And they need to stop doing that for a little while. Well, so, imagine doing all those steroids for almost nothing. <laughs> I mean, it breaks, it breaks your heart. All right, let's be quick here with the rest of this card. We have that tag match. We have the Usos in the New Day. Uh, too new for the New Day to win the titles here. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, it will probably eventually, but we probably saw the formation, the return of the team that will be the ones to take the belts off the Usos on this week's SmackDown with Zack Ryder returning to the pitcher. I really do feel like the Hype Bros are going to get a, a tag title run, and it makes sense to do that with them before you put them on the New Day for what I will assume will be a lengthy run once again. As long as the Fashion Police are still getting the Fashion Files on SmackDown, the tag division can do whatever it wants as yeah, far as I'm concerned. they are the number one stars. My God. Those are the most reliably entertaining thing on wrestling television right now. But do you agree, New Day too soon? I could see them putting it on to New Day, but uh, no, I think, I think, like you say, it's a little bit too soon. They're still fresh. They're still getting the big reactions. I think the Usos retain. Absolutely, and I I like the new Usos gimmick too. It's, oh come on, those promos! Yeah, the great. back and forth. It's the best they've ever been. So why slow down? Now? It is the best they've ever been, isn't it? Yeah, I I it is just the biggest breath of fresh air for me. Good for you, Jimmy and Jay. Yeah, uh, there's probably some other matches there, but we don't have time to talk about them. That's the whole card that's announced. There's some pre-show garbage, I'm sure. But, yeah, they'll uh, probably add something with Fashion Files and uh, the Colognes, I yep. would imagine. That'll be good. And maybe Ty Dillinger winds up on the pre-show. Yeah, with the singing guy. Yeah. I think that's very likely. <laughs> All right. Topic number two this week. Round two. Fight. We may have gone a little over 15 minutes. I didn't start uh, timing until, <laughs> until we'd already started talking. But Listen, the, hey, people, the people really wanted more. Hey, we're that getting warmed up. We're getting warmed up here. You know, the rules are not quite as strict as they should be Listen, things on episode get strict. one. We should get a buzzer. Yeah, absolutely. If you're like mid-sentence. <laughs> As we're about to learn in this Omega Okada breakdown, yeah, time it can, matters. It can happen. Time does matter. Uh, so I will admit that I don't know anything, basically, about New Japan Pro Wrestling. I have a major awareness of it because I'm right. a consumer of wrestling media, so I hear about it on podcasts. I hear about it on The Law or whatever. Um, but like... You know, I know enough. I know enough that I can call a Japanese team playing basketball, which I have done as a sports announcer, <laughs> okay. and correctly pronounce every single name on their entire roster just by absorbing <laughs> Japanese names by osmosis through hearing about New Japan Pro Wrestling. <laughs> I called a, a basketball game for the Japanese national team women's girls uh, basketball. Do and, they work pretty stiff, Japanese? Oh basketball? yeah, they kicked hard. Yeah. And, like, kicked out of every finish. Yeah. It was, you know. That's about what I expected. It would never make it in the Fed, obviously. It would obviously. never make it in the Fed. <laughs> over there, it works for them pretty well. Uh, but a huge show. A lot of yeah. people even said this was bigger than Wrestle Kingdom. Well, bigger going into it, I, I couldn't agree. Dominion is sort of their equivalent to SummerSlam. It's not It's not a perfect comparison. But, but it's Wrestle like King the halfway mark to Bingo. another season. Correct. And so, because they're doing, like, the G1 in August, it's too late to do, like, a another huge thing. That's exactly that. right. Yeah. yeah, it's a scheduling thing. Um, now, I am no New Japan diehard. I basically just watch the big pay-per-views. And like you, being a consumer of wrestling media, you hear a lot of it by osmosis. But I did seek out and watch Dominion this weekend, or at least the top two matches on it, including the main event, the sequel to the highest-starred Dave Meltzer match ever, Omega vs. Okada 2. Uh, and yeah, six stars at the Tokyo Dome for the first one. Uh, I have, for whatever reason, I'm just a bad fan. I have not caught up with it, even though I've meant to. I'm going to tell you, I don't think you're a bad fan. I, I hear a lot of this or see it on Twitter or online where it's like, oh, you know, I just, I, I don't watch New Japan. I don't really get it. I don't think that New Japan is the unbelievable head and shoulders better product that some other people make it out to be. The in-ring quality is maybe more consistent across the board. There's definitely a style to a, a New Japan pro wrestling match. Um, but as it stands right now, it was a damn fine match, the main event of Dominion. Yeah. 
it uh, I see the the big dialogue right now is was it better than the first one? You know, the the six star. You know, could it be topped? And then, if I'm not mistaken, I haven't heard it from the horse's mouth, but I heard Dave Meltzer said this was in fact better than the best one. Yeah. So what? Six point two five at a minimum. On it. I mean, that star rating is it's unbelievable. And people stupid. just lose their minds over something that is entirely oh. trivial and means nothing. Even he is like, yeah, this is whatever. People treat it like it's gospel. Yeah. I, I did not think this was a better match than the first one. I don't know if it was because my expectations were set at such a, a high bar after that first match. The first match I suspected would be good, and then I thought it was great. And so I think I expected that sort of greatness. The the first half to Omega Okada 2, and I'm sure that this will not be a beloved opinion, but I didn't think it was... I, I get that there's storytelling, I get that there's pacing. I thought it was too slow, the first half. And that seems sort of like what I heard from Dave Meltzer also. Oh, is that right? I think he said basically well, he's been that... biting it, my opinions for years, Through the honestly. first 30 minutes, he said that like, well, at least I won't have to hear is it as good as the first one. Oh! Not. And then he said the second half completely proved him wrong it really really did pick up from the about the the bullet club walking in to to give him a hand to give kenny omega a hand it really really did pick up these guys were working stiff everything you hear about okada having the best drop kick in the game i think is entirely true and the the story based around kenny needing to hit the one-winged angel uh i don't know if japanese commentary did the same but kenny omega's finisher to those who may not knew is the one-winged angel it's a tremendous looking move and commentary puts it over as this could be the downfall of Okada. If he can hit this one-winged angel, Okada's toast. That's what Big Dama was using in NXT for it, people who watch WWE Exactly products. right. It, and uh, it looks amazing. Or whatever his does. name is now. Killian Dane. Yes, that's the one. My man. Shouts out to ICW. Um, I'm curious, from, from the outside, what do you know about Kenny Omega? Uh, I know that he's Canadian. Yeah, he's from Winnipeg, you idiot. And on that alone, that like gives me a huge source of national pride, even though I've never really watched him. Right. Uh, like The fact that he won the G1 last year during the Summer Olympics, <laughs> I, I said that that should count for a gold medal. And like... <laughs> From, like, a, a point of national pride, like, it is kind of the same. Like, if someone sure. won a gold medal and was Canadian at the Olympics, uh, I would be like, oh, wow, what a great moment. I would say the G1 is better than any sort of Olympic medal. It but... is scripted, but at the Whoa, same time, gosh. like, no white guy has ever gotten to do that before. It really doesn't sound like you're protecting the business. <laughs> and our our sweet Canadian, our, you know, our great Canadian kid... Just our beautiful boy. He he's, got to do it. He's so. beating all those Japanese people up. Yeah, exactly. Um. So that's like, I, I'm i absolutely, I think he's awesome just for yeah. that alone. And like, I've seen videos. I know what his like style is. He's he's dope. I would love to see him make this jump over here eventually. And it sounds like he wants to wrestle AJ again. Yeah, and, that, that's cool um, boy. So, you know, I am excited, but he's not really someone I know. Of everybody outside of WWE, save maybe Marty Skrull, I think Kenny Omega could translate the best to the WWE style. He has a very distinct character, great promo, understands storytelling in the ring, which is, as we know, what it's all about. It's what we do here, damn it. And I think Kenny Omega would be a great addition to the WWE roster. But on the flip side of that, Mr. Okada is having one of the the greatest stretches of match quality that I can remember. The, the first Omega match, the Shibata match, even got a decent match at a Bad Luck Fale. I mean, the, these are nothing names to you. Uh, no, I, I know all those names, and I also know that apparently Bad Luck Fale sucks because <laughs> you, like, slag him quite often. I think he's I can pick up on context cues without, like, watching the product. <laughs> for, for the record, I actually think Bad Luck Fale gets maybe a tougher rap than he deserves. He's just fun to make fun of. He just looks sort of dumpy. <laughs> um, but, but there's a lot of discussion I see right now about is Okada having, you know, he's obviously the wrestler of the year out front to a lot of people. Um, is this one of the greater title reigns in wrestling history? And I think that's an interesting discussion. But what would you think are some of the stronger title reigns in WWE history to compare it to? Uh, well, modern era, Punk Hell is a yeah. big one that jumps out at me. Yep. Uh, just for how long it was and for just how awesome he was as the champion. Like, uh, you know, I talked about being a lapsed fan. And whenever people, like, ask me what got me back into wrestling... I am more likely to say Daniel Bryan because oh, okay. because that is the wrestler that my like heart latched onto, right? And I just absolutely 
love everything about him. I mean, that's kind of his bag, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, like, I'm very emotionally invested in Daniel Bryan to the point where, like, if we watch the monster video, like, his, his like, intro video <laughs> yeah, package WrestleMania for 30. WrestleMania 30, I will probably cry at least twice <laughs> during that video. What's Even the line? though I've seen it, like, 300 times before. What's the line? With, with these <laughs> people behind me, I'm more powerful than ever. A monster. Yeah, it's really great. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's a, a lot of people, the, the Brian and Punk saga got them back into. But, yeah, but I think the flip's I, happening. I say, I will often say Brian, but I know that it's Punk who brought me back. And right. I feel like that's the case for a lot of people, and that reign is a big part of it. See, I think that's an interesting comparison to be drawn here, because I feel like Kenny Omega is doing that for New Japan for people right now. People who have not generally watched any sort of product outside of WWE are starting to follow New Japan a little bit closer, just from all the hype around this this match quality and then the being the elite uh, YouTube series. He feels accessible. He feels familiar. And then he's going over there in this thing that feels cool. New Japan does have a, a cool feel to it. It doesn't look familiar. It's not as colorful. It's not as, I don't want to say high-end, but there, it's just a very distinct look about it. And I think Kenny Omega is sort of being the drawing card for people to there right now, which I think is super valuable for them, especially making this push into the U.S., yeah, and you know, all the talk is that if he does stick around, it's because he wants to be the figurehead of that. Um, though we were, ta- you know, you're, you wanted to talk about how excited I would be to see Kenny Omega make it uh, over here right. or whatever, uh, and how you think he would fare, which is great, obviously. But do you think, you know, when you look at the way that the WWE has handled guys like Hideo Itami, uh, like even Shinsuke Nakamura, who you, you said earlier you're not the biggest fan of how he's been presented uh, on the main roster, certainly. Um, even having just said that his current title run is one of the best ever and that he's essentially the best wrestler in the world at the moment, do you think Okada could be presented properly in WWE? Last time Okada wrestled for an American Federation, it was for Total Nonstop Action, TNA Wrestling. And he was the sidekick to the Green Hornet, where he jobbed and jobbed and jobbed and was a terrible comedy character. Not that I think WWE would do that. I think they're too savvy at this point. But no, I don't think Okada would translate quite as much. He does definitely have star power, Mm -hmm. and his stature is impressive. And I think all of that does play well for him. But if you had to take somebody who does not speak the Queen's English, and put them into a WWE ring, I do think the best chance of that is Shinsuke Nakamura, just for his physical charisma, just for the way his moveset translates. He's very entertaining. Okada is more of a a wrestler's wrestler. He's he's hitting stiff moves. He's methodical. I mean, the, even his finisher, the Rainmaker, I think it's a, one of the most beloved finishers going right now. But effectively, it's a clothesline. Yeah. Um, I think that's sort of indicative of the kind of guy he is. He's super sound so good at everything but i don't know the wwe a guy who could just get over on work rate though it's tough to say you'd like to think so right but i, I don't know how much that happens now yeah i mean that's sort of why cesaro got over is cesaro um, over he was for for a little <laughs> while there yeah he's slinging people around like a bald idiot they ne- that's enough <laughs> they never they never they always fail to strike when the iron is hot when guys are actually super hot and when they say that uh, that's why, you know, they, they don't have stars or whatever, uh, it, it's true. Like, it, it, there's so many opportunities over the last five years even to elevate guys to a higher level. And so often they don't. And then they say, oh, it never happened for them. And it's like, well, <laughs> you control what happens. Well, so what the fuck are you talking about? I, I think you're only half right with that. And not to go too far off track here, but uh, I, I do think that at some point a guy has to get over on his own merits. Man, this 15 minutes goes quickly. Omega Okado 2, I liked it. I didn't even think it was as good as Okada Shibata from a couple months ago. I did not think it was as good as uh, Omega 1, but I thought it was a great match and well worth seeking out. I think you should watch it. I definitely will try to if I can find a legal way to do it that has not been shut down already. Oh, listen, just subscribe to New Japan World. (laughs) Do you? Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> That's too rich for you also. Yeah, 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 there's no way. Flow Slam, <laughs> in addition to the network. Uh, the fact that you have a Flow Slam subscription is wild to me. But, uh, but you think you get your money out of that. Where else are you going to watch Gaiju Big Battle? I guess so, yeah. Uh, are we ready to, to call it quits on this one before the 15 minutes is up? Let's do it, baby. All right, let's head into topic number three. 
Round three, fight! And this is, of course, the big feud that is headlining Raw right now. We did mention earlier uh, that uh, we are not... Uh, team Raw in this no. household. We are Team but lately, SmackDown. But for the last two weeks, Raw has been great. And there are a couple reasons for that. I think the, the Enzo and Cass mystery plays a role for so sure. Good. Uh, this week, Enzo's acting was just spectacular also. like, And that's not something I ever thought I would say about Enzo Amore. He showed subtlety. Yeah, that scene with the big show was fantastic just perfectly pitched this ongoing um, storytelling is something that i think i and many people do crave in wrestling like something where you are paying attention oh and those attacked again cast is attacked again you're leaning in you're not on your phone during it you're yeah you're paying attention you want to see what you can pick up similar to the fashion files on the on the the blue brand but yeah i mean raw has been so good but so much of that is this lesnar joe feud. absolutely uh which feels like the biggest main event feud they've had in a long time. Like, yeah. oftentimes we get two months out from a title feud, and I don't even remember who had the belt before anymore. Right. And that's crazy considering I watch the show every single week. That is crazy. But um, because so many feuds have not been memorable, and already just two weeks into this one, I think we still have another, you know month basically yeah, close to like to that. go before the show actually happens, at least three weeks yet. Um, and this is only going to get better. That for last week's where uh, Joe pulls Heyman in off mic. I mean, I knew instantly that we've got a few that they are going to pay some special attention to. I was talking about the last segment, you know, something that makes you really pay attention to your TV. Yeah. I remember, for full disclosure, we watch Raw together and SmackDown with a group of people here every week. Everyone leaned in when they went off mic. Everyone was really intently watching. And Joe can just home run those promos. He can do the the cool collected killer better than I think almost anybody seems very deliberate and that forces you to pay attention also 100%. because uh, while I did think that the promo battle between Seth Rollins and Bray Wyatt was actually really good it was good Raw, wasn't it uh, and that Seth Rollins in general has really found his voice as a babyface in the last two episodes of Raw basically sure. primarily uh, there's still something that is like so rote and boring about uh, just watching two guys talk at each other on a microphone. It's so like classic pro wrestling that I've seen it so many times before that there are so few things you can talk about that will actually draw me in. Now, there are some great talkers who are able to do it, certainly. Uh, but just that thing of like dropping the mic and making you feel like not only do I really have to pay attention because it's not being fed to me through their speaker system or whatever, even though it still is through just through a different style right. of microphone, uh, you know, it, it, it felt real and dangerous. Sure. Like, this is not how a pro wrestler behaves. This is how a fucking mobster behaves, basically. And it... it I love that comparison. It was huge. It was so... It, it took uh, Joe out of this... Seth Rollins feud that he's been stuck in basically since WrestleMania. Yep. Uh, now, granted, they didn't have the best luck. They got stuck behind that awful finish to the Bailey uh, oh, that's Bliss right. match. So that just killed any interest from the live crowd in their first match. But uh, like this has made him into the big deal that he should have been, that he was that first night that he debuted. They brought him up with no real plan save for one cool introduction, basically. He wasn't even on WrestleMania. But all of a sudden, this guy is like... He has it. He is a star, and if you lean into him to be one, he can carry this show. Well, and it speaks to presentation and how much of the way a guy is presented actually plays into things. You look at Brock Lesnar and you look at Samoa Joe. I think it's safe to say they don't share a body style. Samoa Joe is chunky, thick, you know? He's not, he's not this uh, athletic specimen. But given the right presentation, the right build, you see him and Brock face off and you go, Shit, this guy is much better than I thought. Yeah. This is a guy who can give Lesnar problems. Like, if you're keeping it to a kayfabe sense, that, can this guy beat him in a fight? It, it's insane. And this build, they, they completely get it. I, so often I feel like WWE does miss the mark. They don't quite understand a person. I feel like this feud understands what Samoa Joe does best. Yeah. It, it's so strange to think about Mick Foley pitching them Samoa Joe in 2004. He was about this good. not Maybe not this good, but very good. Yeah. 13 years ago. And Mick Foley's going oh, crazy. Oh, I, I remember seeing him 
back uh, on Ring of Honor, like yeah. way back in the day when that was like my buddy got HD TV and there's only two channels that you get that are <laughs> HD and that's National Geographic and HD Net featuring Ring of Honor Wrestling <laughs> on Sinclair Broadcasting. Oh, great broadcasters. Um, and yeah, like I that I do remember Samoa Joe on TV way back then and like he did seem huge even then yeah and like one of those guys who went into tna and was not tarnished by it as well yeah he definitely put in so many good years in tna and delivered i mean just some absolute classics over there but the big question is do you think there's any chance he can beat brock lesnar and take the universal title i think he can but i don't think he will right now Mm. i feel like brock lesnar is like in a way that almost makes him boring. Like, we know when his contract ends, so we know what his end date is, which means we know what their end game is and when it's going to happen. He's going to wrestle Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, and he's going to lose like he was supposed to three years earlier and didn't. Uh, and I don't want to see that because right. it feels predetermined in a way that, like, I don't want to see the Golden State Warriors win the NBA title because we all knew that that would happen in November. That's you watch news for you. You watch the games and you watch wrestling because anything can happen. And what I don't think Vince McMahon understands anymore is that so often, you know, I go to real sports to be disappointed in outcomes. <laughs> I don't need that from my professional wrestling. Like, give me the thrill of what sport is supposed to provide and, like, that doesn't happen when I know what's going to happen two years in advance or whatever because I know how stubborn Vince is with this guy. And I know that, the, like, you know, there's I don't, if they just focused on the short term every so often instead of having these ambitious long-term plans because, you know, like, you are in an industry where injuries happen all the time. All the Severe time. injuries that completely alter the course of what you had intended. I'm not saying don't have a long-term plan, but also be more responsive to what's happening right now and know that if something gets a really hot reaction, you can just lean on that instead because you just found this thing randomly and it happens to be great. Yeah. And you can run with it. Like, I don't want Joe to be a one-and-done for Brock because, oh, he's just set to have scheduled matches against every guy who was in that Fatal 5-way until the end of the year. If something catches fire, I want it to, to go just the distance. Like, make Brock and... Uh, Samoa Joe go again at SummerSlam. Why not? If they have a classic match and it's like you, you have a way to get some short, sort of schmoz finish out of that match, which leaves like a question in, in everyone's minds of who's really better. They do yeah. that stuff all the time. And if the feud is hot, and I think this one, after just two weeks, is really hot. Uh, there's well, I no believe reason that not they that. recognize that too. I mean, what was the last feud that got two segments as good as that Heyman-Kokina clutch and then that pull-apart from yesterday? Yeah, and there were a lot of people who didn't want them to even touch each other because... Why? I never like, understand this. That it would ruin the illusion before the match or whatever. What, what, is, what does it ruin? I, I have no idea. Like, I never understand this. They, oh, like, oh, they, they, shouldn't, touch. they shouldn't touch. What? Yeah. Because I want to see these guys get down. Because Couple big horses, baby. They touched on Monday, and both guys came out of it looking great. It, like, yeah, spoiler alert, it was dope. Yeah. You can't say that anybody was tarnished by that segment because... Except maybe Titus. <laughs> he looked like he could not hold Brock back worth a shit. Um, well, Brock might have been tarnished because it didn't look like it took nearly as many people to hold him back as The Undertaker pull apart. That's a good point. Which means he's gotten a lot weaker over the last couple of years. <laughs> um, the, 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 Titus was one of the guys holding him back, and we all know Titus is very powerful. So Holy cow. The Titus brand is out of control. When are we doing a show where all three topics are the hashtag make it a win? That's probably after Tozawa wins the Cruiserweight title. Oh, um, yeah. But until then, uh, yeah, like you, you saw a, a segment there where uh, Brock went for the takedown three times in a row and had to run Joe back into the corner instead. That still allowed him to get the majority of the offense, so he comes out looking good. But at the end of it, you're also left noticing that Brock tried to take down Joe three times in a row and he couldn't, couldn't do it. it, and Joe took down Brock on the first try. And that kick? Yeah. The, the storytelling in-ring, I mean, they, they were paying attention to the subtleties. It's all the things that I like when pro wrestling's done really well. Um, I think Joe is the guy who takes it off of Lesnar. I don't think it's going to be a great balls of fire. I think that you probably are going to get a schmoz finish in some capacity. But I just seeing those two segments make me think that they see what the crowd sees. 
Guys don't get these kind of builds against Brock. You remember the Dean Ambrose? Dean had a really hot build, I thought. I really wanted to see Dean beat him, too. That go home or just drug the wagon around in the back? That's true, but just the lead up of making him look like the, the new... Like hardcore legend of a generation. It's a great having point. Having all of these old stars come and say, "You're the guy now." It was like he got a a new passing of the torch from some beloved legend every single week for it three was weeks in a row. But I don't think I still don't think that's equivalent to the physicality with Brock Lesnar before the match or choking out Heyman. That's true, but it's you, big and, in a different way. And you also speak to the fact that that was not something that they ever intended to do at WrestleMania because the plan that year was Bray Wyatt. But I think they were stunned at how hot the reaction was mm-hmm. between Dean and Brock at Fastlane that year. Right. And decided to run with it for another match. So totally true. that is entirely possible. If they can do that at WrestleMania, they can absolutely do that at SummerSlam. Uh, and I would love to see this continue because uh, Joe should be a big deal. The biggest surprise to me, and with AJ as well, because like as someone who never watched TNA but mostly just hears about what a train wreck it is we call those smart people um <laughs> uh like he's one of those guys where uh just like AJ all i ever heard about really was the matches and i feel like his promos and AJ's promos are not something that I anticipated. Right, and I would say that's especially true of Joe. That first sit-down he did with Michael Cole when he uh, entered into WWE, he does, again, he does that mellow, intense killer. It's very methodical. Yeah. It seems it seems dangerous. Yeah. A crazy person will never look you in the eyes and say, I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, they think they're sane, and I feel like Joe really has that going for him. Yeah, and there's like some, it's kind of, yeah, like a detached energy sort of. Sure. Uh, that makes it just so awesome. Uh, like this methodical thing that he's doing, like action reaction or whatever the structure of his mm-hmm. promos is that he's done quite a bit lately. On the one hand, it's like a repetitive structure that I don't love a lot. On the other hand, it is like making ass kickings into like a scientific equation. And there is <laughs> something like, yeah, like a killer about that, basically. Let me ask you this. Did you feel that Heyman and Brock's pairing had gotten stale at all? Absolutely. You, I, I, definitely, I definitely wanted to see uh, Heyman and Brock break up and maybe see Heyman go manage the Bullet Club because mm. they'd hinted at that a couple weeks ago. Um, because, yeah, I think the typical Heyman promo is stale at this point. I agree. Uh, because when he's there and Brock's not... The crowd isn't getting what they want, and as good of a talker as Paul is, you can't make him do that for like four years in a row and it not get boring, basically. But I do feel like having him be choked out on yes. the first night of the feud like personalizes it for him, and it personalizes it for Brock to make him a clear babyface also. Because he's a guy that people cheer for even though he's like beyond the the spectrum of heel face mm-hmm. uh he's kind of broken it in a way that people say john cena did but i feel like brock really did when he beat john cena at SummerSlam. it's definitely true um he's just completely he exists in his own space as a character right people react to him not yeah. vice versa yeah and this has given him a clear motivation to be a good guy in a way that I want to cheer for him while at the same time wanting Joe to kick his ass. My, so, my only minor complaint about this feud so far is I really wanted Monday, no Paul Heyman. Brock comes out here to kick ass for his, his manager, his and best Heyman's buddy. And in the hospital. And Heyman's all busted up still. He's in a neck brace, something corny, whatever it takes. And you have Brock come out looking mean, and they just get down to business. They just, that pull apart happens right off the get. I think that would have been great. But I love the segment regardless. Yeah. Two weeks in a row, it's been the best thing on Raw and on a Raw that has had good segments to compete with it. And Miz elbow dropping that box might have been the best moment last week. I, I want to almost give it to Miz <laughs> last week, but, you know, the no, the, the coquina clutch on Heyman, the off-camera element of it, it all felt new, it all felt fresh, it felt legitimately dangerous. Mm-hmm. And, right, yeah, that is what it felt. And, like, that's something that you definitely need back in pro wrestling. I love it. Um, in the PG era, if you're not going to bleed, at least make me feel that something is really at stake. Give me a top rope muscle, bu- muscle buster on Brock Lesnar. <laughs> and we are almost pushing the 15-minute buzzer here on this topic, but with that, we will move on to some questions. Yeah, thanks for sending these in. We had zero expectations for this. Yeah, we did uh, get a surprising number 
of questions on the Twitter line, especially for a podcast that has never been a podcast before. So That's true. Uh, do you want to start us off there, Josh? I will. Our first question comes from your co-host there on Real Good Show, Mr. John Cullen. And John asks, which current WWE wrestler is most in need of a complete character makeover? And I'll let you field that one first. Um, well, first of all, John, hello. Hey, John. Uh, <laughs> and I think the answer is somebody who got a sit-down interview on Raw this week. You talked about the one that Joe did several months ago being a pivotal, mo- a pivotal moment for him uh, as a character on the main roster. I'm going to talk about one this week also being a pivotal moment, hopefully, in that we can pivot away from what she's doing right now and do something entirely different. I think Bailey is completely broken wow. on the main roster right now. Uh, and I don't want to see it go on. They've like you they, think Bailey needs a complete character makeover. I, I think so. I think they have like damaged the like innocent child nature of her. Like what makes her appeal to little kids? I think they have hit that so hard that uh, I don't know that it can be redeemed at this point. No more hugging? Uh, I, I don't know what you do with her because that's all she's ever done. What but... about the inflatable fellas? Oh, I like those. Yeah, those so are cool. maybe you keep... I don't know. But then if she gets a complete makeover, then those have to go. They got to go. Something about her is just not working at all to the, to the way that she has like go-away heat for yeah, me. Yeah, it's her dog shit promo ability. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. And, and yeah, she's probably the most in need of a total revamp. For me, I'm going to give that to to a man that I have no love for, and that's Dolph Ziggler. Um, I recognize that Dolph Ziggler has charisma and is a good seller. I think he gets overrated in the ring. He's a good worker, I think. I think he's a good worker. I think people like to talk about him as if he's a great worker. I, I think his moveset I think is quite bland. I think he's a top ten worker in the company. That's just such a bad opinion. I don't even know where to go with this. Uh, but I think that Dolph... He will consistently get he the way people talk about Randy Orton as like you a prime utility player. I think that is actually Dolph Ziggler. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but I would give him a full maker because there is something there. He's a charismatic guy. He knows how to wrestle. But I just can't imagine somebody getting into the the showstopper and seeing the famouser for the millionth time. I, I just I think a full revamp could really help him. All right. Well, we got another question here from uh, Mitch Pollock friend of mine and friend of the show now who asks uh, which event did more to derail and lose old wrestling fans the screw job the takeover of WCW or the brand split wow Mitch that is a great question the question is which did more to drive fans away to drive old fans away yeah Okay, I'm going to eliminate the screw job because I think people were into the Mr. McMahon character yeah, right I think, after. Yeah, I think even if you uh, are a huge Bret Hart fan and that pisses you off to the most extreme, it is basically what opens the door for the top babyface run of all time in Stone Cold Steve Austin right. against the top heel of all time in Mr. McMahon. So <sighs> like, even if you were pissed off, like something that drives people away, I believe... Thoroughly, the reason why I wanted to do a podcast about being driven away from wrestling, but eventually drawn back into it, I believe that that is a natural thing. That if you loved wrestling at any point in your life, you will always have that love buried inside of you somewhere, and you need to find something that awakens it again. Uh, and I think that if that was something that pushed you away, then the Stone Cold McMahon feud would bring you right back in because you I would agree. hate McMahon for that and w- would get to see him get beat up by Steve Austin all the time. It's very true. I, of these options, I'm going to say the takeover of WCW and just the, the sloppy handling of that, the bizarre contracts, but it's tight, man. None of these kept old fans around. I'll say that. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go with the takeover of WCW as well because, as I mentioned earlier in this show, the invasion angle is what ultimately made me <laughs> yeah. give up on WWF. You are an example of this. So, yes. We'll now go to Tom Online, uh, and he's asking us. That's Tom Hanna. Hey, Tom Hanna. What's up, baby? <laughs> uh, what are the top five best and worst finishers? I don't know if we have time to get into the top no, five, can't do five of each, but uh, best and worst. What, what comes to mind for you for best? For best, I, I know it's not like the best move ever, but I'm going to definitely go with the, ma- the move that I always give to myself 
in the video games. <laughs> okay. Like if I make a Justin Morissette character, he is doing the move that Kevin Owens cannot, and that is the package pile driver. Because ah. I, yeah, I think it is an insanely satisfying finish. It is a great finisher. But I also feel like uh, that like one of the things that's great about it is that you automatically know that a pile driver is so inherently dangerous because guys have just been ruined by them in the past. But I really feel like that one is super safe. <laughs> and, and like to me, like what makes a great wrestling finisher is something that looks absolutely devastating, uh, but also is like not dangerous at all. And, and really one good. of the yeah. best for that, I hate to name two, uh, oh, but do for five. Don't do it. Uh, is Seth Rollins' curb stomp, which I'm still so sad that he doesn't get to do anymore. It does meet that criteria because like it looks like you're killing someone, but the guy just has to like bump on his face. He's really. never been safe. Yeah, he, exactly. I'm going to go with, uh, we actually mentioned earlier in this podcast, Killian Dane's Ulster Plantation, though, Kenny Omega's one-winged angel. There's just something about Killian Dane. The or fact Big that Donald. he can do it is a huge guy. He's just like this huge, gross dude chucking people on his shoulders. Slamming. I love every time he does it. I, it was the first thing that came to my mind. I might regret this answer later, but it's my first answer that came to mind for favorite finisher. For worst, I feel like I'm just like bagging on Dolph Ziggler, so I won't pick it, but... Oh, what are some terrible finishers? What are you picking? Uh, yeah, I, I thought you were going to pick the zigzag there. It's I'll, up there. I'll probably go, and it's not the worst ever, but like the the most disappointing to me right now mm. is Alexa Bliss's DDT. Oh, I like that it's just a DDT. <laughs> yeah. I do like that. It I, just To me, like there's no build to it even. It comes out of nowhere. I don't feel like... Uh, her winning matches has the dramatic punch that it should. And oh, okay. it is a good DDT, but like... It just it just exemplifies everything that is wrong with her overall move set when a DDT is your best move. I can't believe that I hesitated on this. The the answer is so obvious. You yeah. picked the wrong answer. Yeah. The Bailey to Belly is so hopelessly bad. It looks it, tremendously unpainful. I the Bailey to Belly with a bullet is my least favorite finisher. Off the top rope though, the one she did on Sasha, that was so awesome. Listen, <laughs> you put anything on a top rope, it's going to be pretty cool, okay? Yeah, including That's... Judy Bagwell. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we got a question here from Ryan Schapp of the Pucks on Net podcast. Which current WWE wrestler is phoning it in, and what is your favorite WWE match of all time? Uh, I think it is safe to say that Dolph Ziggler is phoning it in from a character perspective. Uh, as someone who really likes watching him work, uh, you mentioned just the staleness of his overall character. I thought he was pretty good in that Dolph, or in the feud with Nakamura. He got a lot of just awful material, all that shit about Michael Jackson. Yeah. But oh. him as just being, like, the, the character he was playing uh, as, like, someone who doesn't believe that wrestling exists outside of WWE. Right. Like, <laughs> I feel like that is, like... The, the kind of perfect heel that can get heat with, like, smart fans like ourselves, basically. so that's There's something interesting there. But I do feel that week to week on the mic and in his segments backstage, he's just like a non-entity quite a bit. I'm going to go a little off-board on this one and say Kofi Kingston. Ooh. Um, not, not necessarily on the mic. I think he's fully in on the New Day thing. But Kofi used to be a pretty um, innovative worker. He was sort of seen during his, his IC run, his tagging with Punk, as this not super forward, but a, a very good worker for the time. And now I, the New Day is sort of without even a great match. I mean, I liked the New Day. But I still like the New Day. But I, I'll say Kofi Kingston for this answer. All right. Uh, favorite match of all time. I'm going to go with something that I saw recently okay. that, that reminded me of how great it was because I can't really think of a better one. It's favorite WWE match mm -hmm. specifically. Uh, and go with Triple H versus Cactus Jack in a street fight at the 2000 Royal Rumble. Fuck, that was my pick. Oh, really? Are you serious? Yeah, well, I've been watching a lot of WWE 2000 yeah, lately. It's my favorite match. And the whole Foley feud with Triple H is fucking amazing. And that match in particular, even though the Hell in a Cell one at No Way Out is also awesome, uh, the, yeah, oh, the Rumble match is yeah. just incredible. It's one of the best matches of all time. I hate picking the same thing, but yeah, it's definitely my favorite WWE match. I uh, thought you might pick one of the like Shawn Michaels Undertaker matches. Yeah, uh, I mean, th there's so many. It certainly wouldn't be a bad pick, but uh, listen, I think Mick Foley's the greatest wrestler who's ever lived. I say God bless him. And uh, yeah, that's mine too. 
And what was the second part? Oh, yeah. That's the second that's part of the it. question. Yeah. We'll move on to my friend Daniel here, and he asks, how big is Batista's dick? <laughs> I'm glad we got that question early yeah. in the run. This is important. Yeah. To really just to get that out on the air. Uh, you know, in episode one, I think it's a huge thing. I'm not going to give the answer, but I do want to tell you I have great intel on this. Oh, yeah? I know specifically how big Batista's dick is. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, can't, I couldn't say it You've on You've done some head. scouting? Well, listen, let's just say it's more firsthand experience, quite literally. But I know how big <laughs> Batista's dick is. <laughs> Our last question, I think... Possibly comes to us from uh, Mike Paris, who's the co-host of the Game Time Decision Podcast. He asks, thoughts on a part-time champ like Brock? Is it ultimately bad for the business or allowing others to shine in his absence? It's a good question. Um, I am personally in favor of, I don't know about for a champion, but people don't have to be on TV all the time. It's okay to miss people. Yeah. Um, I don't innately hate a part-time champ like Brock. I don't like if it runs for a long time. Yeah, and I do feel like him being gone constantly did get old in his run after he beat Cena at SummerSlam. Like, being a satellite champion yeah, I agree. was more of a factor there because I think he even was basically gone until the Rumble, uh, unless I'm forgetting a match that he... No, I think you're right. Might have had at Survivor Series, but I don't think so, yeah. so My memory is such a dog shit. Um, uh, so yeah, like that was more pronounced then. I feel like they're doing a really good job right now of handling it because it seems like he does have a lot of dates booked for this year. Okay. And also like he was gone for two months, but did you really notice it? Like the show's obviously way better now that he's back and it is weird that your guy won the title and then disappeared off of TV after WrestleMania. Um, but you know, they did put an extra emphasis on the Intercontinental Belt for the yep. first month that he was gone, and then they used the second month he was gone to build every single contender in the number one contenders match. So, uh, yeah. if you manage a guy being gone correctly, it doesn't really feel like a huge part of the show is missing. And I do feel like that Raw is a lot more top-heavy at the moment than it is being given credit for. You do have a lot of yeah. guys who are genuine main event talents, and they are certainly capable of carrying the load while he's gone. I would say that the, the way that it could hurt the brand, though, is if you have these guys competing for the chance to fight Brock Lesnar, and then they just go, and it's a squash match. If that happens en masse, and it just looks like a bunch of rookies on Raw fighting, going, fighting to fight the end boss who's never there, and he's much better than all of them, I think that is a net loss for Yeah, him. he ultimately does have to lose. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully not only to Roman Reigns. <laughs> but we shall see as time marches on week by week here. <laughs> on Top Marks, another wrestling podcast. Uh, that'll do it for this week, I think. What did you think? How did you think it went? I, I thought it went pretty well. I hope people enjoyed it. It's already my favorite podcast. Yeah, well, we do have a lot of connections in the local independent scene. It's true. Uh, to one of my friends and one of your friends, who I am also friendly with at yeah. this point, and I've been friends with you. You guys are friends now? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he loves yeah, you, I think. Are. <laughs> hope Best so. friends. I hope so. Uh, but we know two guys who wrestle in ECCW, and we hope to milk those connections for all that they're worth to bring some local indie wrestling content to you on this program as well from here in Vancouver. But you know what? I know that a lot of the guys that we might talk to in ECCW are not people who will ever appear on television for our listeners at home. Uh -huh. But I still feel like their stories are like quintessentially part of the industry. I think hearing from actual wrestlers is, is more important than us two dummies sitting on a couch talking about it. Absolutely. So look forward to that in future episodes. But uh, that'll do it for now. Until next week, uh, watch some Shark Boy and, and Curry Man videos. Oh my God. When is the Curry Man round? <laughs> He's hot. He's spicy. He, he tastes great. great. He's Kareem Man! Man.